0: Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today we're going to answer questions from a webinar I just conducted. I give these webinars maybe every three months for different groups about mental health, wellness, um, goal setting, just lifestyle um, topics And they have questions at the end that I'm not always able to get to. So I promised them that I'll address them in the form of a podcast. So that's what this episode is going to be. This episode will be me answering those questions. And I'm sure in some of these questions, because I'm looking at them right now, that you will find some answers to questions that you have, that you didn't even know that you had. You're like, oh, what is the answer to that? You know how sometimes you're scrolling through and, uh, on YouTube or social media and they are like, do you know the three reasons why? You're like, oh, I don't know. What is it? That's what this, <laughs> that's what this episode will be. All right. So let's hop into it. First question. Because uh, Is there a preferred Himalayan salt that can be added to the water rather than food? Now, this question came up because I talked about the importance of taking electrolytes daily. And the reason why we want to uh, drink electrolytes on a daily basis is a lot of our water has been so filtered um, through pipes and the, you know just trying to remove the contaminants that it's also stripped the water of its natural minerals and electrolytes that we would naturally get. So now we find ourselves having to actually buy electrolytes and add them to our water. Water naturally, if we got it from the spring or the well, they would naturally have these electrolytes because water runs over rocks, is collecting these minerals, and then we get to drink the minerals. But now, because we have like 20 ways of filtering the water before we get it to that glass that's on our table, we've stripped out all the electrolytes. So part of, part, of, part of the way to combat that is to add a little Himalayan sea salt to your water on a daily basis. Now, when I say little, I, I like to get the chunks of sea salt and not the, not the ground-up sea salt. And there's these tiny little chunks. And I'll just have one. I, I grab one, grab one little morsel of Himalayan sea salt I'll put that in my mouth, let let that melt, and then I'll I'll chug some water. And that's it. So I don't want people (laughs) you know, adding tons of Himalayan sea salt or a teaspoon or a handful to their water. You just need one or two. And the beauty of Himalayan sea salt, which I just found out, comes from Pakistan. I was in Pakistan. How did I not know? I mean, Himalayan, Himalayan mountains, in Pakistan, so they're either coming from Pakistan. That's where most of it comes from. But there's some companies that go to Brazil to get the get the Himalayan sea salt, uh, and obviously it wouldn't be Himalayan. It's some other uh, salt from mountains that they've discovered. Um. So yeah, it, and and so to answer the question, it doesn't matter what Himalayan source of Himalayan sea salt you use. They're all good. The way that Himalayan sea salt is sourced, it's it's a natural process. So you don't have to worry about is one better than the other. It's not like wine or honey where you have to look at the grade, like there's grade A, grade B. Um, it's not like eggs like where you have to be like, is this local? Is this free range? Is it organic? Himalayan sea salt's not like that land sea salt is more like uh goats or elk and, and what I mean is cows will eat anything and that's why you have to be aware of how your cow how what, what where you're getting your beef from because you know the, the, they'll they'll feed a a cow you know corn and all, all this all this stuff and a cow will just chow down right? So you have to be like, all right, how is this cow treated? Whatever. Goats aren't like that. Goats eat what they eat and they're not going to eat anything else. So you have to feed a goat what it naturally eats. You have to feed elk what it naturally eats. So when you're eating elk, you don't have to worry, is this local? Is it organic? Like uh, elk, they don't, you can't treat them like cows. They elks do what elks do. So when I get elk, I, I don't have to ask a million questions. Is elk? You get venison, it's venison. Like you know that um, it it, it ate what it's supposed to eat, and it was treated how it's supposed to be treated. Else, it's just not. You're just not gonna get anything from it. You can't fatten it up. You can't do all this extra stuff that we do with cows, right? Himalayan sea salt the same way. It 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 is what it is, and uh, companies. The only way a company could uh, mess with the you know the quality of the salt, as if they were to mix in other salts, which then is is not what it is. Uh, so that's not even, um, you know, then you're just dealing with a, a shady. But I don't think that's something that, that's not anything that I've read about or heard of. Um, so I don't think that's anything you have to consider. Salt is salt, and so that's. But that's also why you don't want to get the. You, you. It's better to get the uh, the chunks of salt, like the coarse salt versus the ground-up salt, right? Because if it's, if it's chunks, then you know it is what it is. If it's ground up, they could be mixing it with other things. But like I said, that is something that I I could say with 99.9% surety is uh, something you don't have to worry about, in the, at least in a salt game, right? Um, unless you're at a restaurant and they have this container that says Himalayan sea salt. Well, you don't know what the restaurant is cutting it with, right? They could be mixing it with regular salt or what have you. But if you get the chunks, then you got nothing to worry about. And then you could just grind that up yourself. And I recommend that for pepper also. Get, get, the, get the peppercorn so you can ground. There's nothing. I love the smell of fresh ground pepper. Ah, oh, I love I I didn't even know that was a thing that I loved until I smelled it, and I was like, "What?" I've been dealing with ground pepper my whole life, and a, and the smell of fresh of fresh cracked. Oh my goodness, I love it. Uh, it is. I wouldn't say it's up there with coffee, but it, it's 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 in the race though. It's in the race. It can line up. It can line up. It could, it could put the shoes on. Uh, second question, and it, it's related to the first one. Should you drink the Himalayan salt water in the morning or later in the day? Uh, I truly believe that if you're going to take electrolytes, drink it in the morning. And the reason why you're going to drink it in the morning is because if we are getting quality sleep at night, then we are losing bodily fluids through the night. We're losing it through sweat, and then we're also losing it through urination. I'm 47, so if you're like me, you're getting up at least once or twice in the night to go pee, right? So we need to replace those electrolytes in the morning, okay? Now, if you can't, uh, you know, for whatever reason, it it doesn't matter. As long as you're getting them in, I would say get it in daily, but I recommend in the morning, and I recommend it especially for me because I like to work out in the morning. I like to get my 10,000 steps in and go work out and being in San Diego, the sun can be out. It can be sometimes hotter than usual in the morning. Um, and so to to have lost uh, bodily fluids through sweating at night and urination, and then to go for a walk, you know I, that could be a recipe for disaster. So I wake up, I put one piece of coarse Himalayan sea salt under the tongue, chug about a liter of water. And then I get to step in. Uh, question number three, and uh, we only have actually uh, two other questions after this. So five total. In terms of financial, re- now this is for the holidays. For, you, for, for the people out there, the holidays are coming up or just in general with the gift giving. Uh, this person says, I feel the need to buy for all. Why? Well, I resonate with this. There's definitely a the of holidays because, it, one, it can feel like everyone is buying gifts for everyone, right? So you're like, whoa, I, I, if everybody else is doing it, then I should be doing it. So there's that, like, uh, subtle societal pressure. Two, you know, in movies and in media and everything that we watch, that's what we see. We see people buying gifts for everyone. They're like, what do I get for my mom? My grandparents, my kids, my nieces, my nephews. Three, it, it can also feel like everyone's getting gifts for us. So then we feel like we need to get gifts for everyone. But, you know, if we thought about it, we might be that person's one person. Meaning, you know, I could have 10 different people giving me a gift. But for each one of those people, I might be the only person in their life. <laughs> I might I might be that connector. And so, you know, they're like, oh, I just gotta get Leo a gift because I only know Leo. Where I'm like, I know ten of you, so I gotta get ten of you. Which so, you know, if you multiplied it out, here's a way that I usually deal with um this feeling that of like I should do this or I should do that, is I multiply it out. I, I stretch it out, I go extreme. I go, What if I knew a thousand people? Does that mean I have to get 1000 people a gift? What if I had 1000 people in my family? Like according to 23 and me, I have about 400 living relatives right now. Do I need to get all 400 living relatives a gift? You see what I'm saying? So when we look at when we exaggerate our situation, it helps us to see how ridiculous it how the the, the pressure that we're putting on ourselves, right? Um, it's like, even if you're a student in school and you know, you get a B and you thought you're going to get an A and you're beating yourself up about it. But if you, th- if you think about it, it's like, at some point you're not going to get a grade anymore. At some point you'll be out of school. At some point, no one's going to say, Hey, you di- you got an A, you got a C, you got an F. You're going to have to find another way to measure your performance, to measure the outcome, to measure your effort. What are you going to do then, when there's no grade, right? So it's you know when we start to zoom out a little bit, um, it helps us to ground ourselves in the present moment. But you know, going back to this question of like, why do I feel the need to you know buy for everyone else? It could also be like it's just fun. I like it's 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 like I love to go. I don't want to say I love to go shopping. I, I love to buy things. I love to buy books. I love the idea of, of walking in a store and then walking out with 10 bags in my hand. So there's that part of it too where you're just like, yeah, I got it. I got this locked. I'm I'm the best uncle. They're going to love me. And so it's like a, a part of us uh, feels the need to buy for everyone because we want that love and affection and want we'll to see faces light up and, 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 you know, all, all of the, the things that come with it, right? So there's that. So there's a bit of an ego in there of well, that need to buy for everyone. And then also, we don't want to be embarrassed. Like, I don't want to be empty. Like, if, if you're sitting around the tree with other people and everybody's opening up gifts from everyone, and then you're like, I only have a gift for this, like, that could be embarrassing. <laughs> so... I would say, whoever you, um, if you set up the precedent of buying gifts for, say, like you bought gifts for ten people last Christmas, but maybe this year you don't have that kind of money to buy for all ten. Well, I would message them and say, "Hey, I, I know I got you something last year. Money's kind of tight this year. Um, you know, looking forward to to next year, maybe, or at least we have each other." whatever that is. But I would, I would just say it to him. I would say, you know, and because the other reason why we might feel the need to, to give a gift is because we know that these other people are giving us gifts. And so we, we, you know, it's like that, um, we don't want to feel like we're being selfish or thought or, you know, not being thoughtful, um, or taking advantage. I don't want to feel like I'm taking advantage of you. Like, wow, you got me a gift. I didn't get you a gift. Um, but, you know, I just I know too many people. I can't buy buying everybody a gift. So, you know, owning it and also being willing to communicate it and say, hey, um, if you're going to get me a gift, know that I may not be able to get you a gift this year, but uh, I, I definitely will make it up to you. Or not even make it up to them because it shouldn't have to be, honestly, it shouldn't have to be a tit for tat. We got to get out of that, this idea of like, oh, you did something for me, so now I got to do something for you kind of thing. Um, I I think that in theory and in general, that rule can apply in some instances, but not in a gift-giving because now this person is doing something for you that they don't have to do and you didn't ask for. So to feel that need to, to go tit for tat to match gift for gift, that's not fair, right? So it's like, hey, if you're thinking about getting me a gift, I appreciate it, and I'm thankful. Just know that this year I will not be able to reciprocate. Uh, so if you're comfortable with that, uh, I, I just want to give you a heads up and, and, and say thank you in advance. Uh, thank you for understanding in advance, right? Uh, so that takes pressure off of you, and that opens up communication. And also, you may discover that they didn't really have the money to buy you a gift. They're buying this on credit. That's right. They're buying this with money. They don't even have that. They're, they're borrowing from the future to get you a gift because they think you're going to get them a gift. So if you may find that when you communicate openly and honestly, what your situation is, that they feel relieved. They're like, whew, I'm so glad I was about to buy you a Bentley. oh that would be hilarious (laughs) if somebody bought you a bentley and you're like i got nothing (laughs) if i knew somebody was buying me a bentley i would break i would break my bank to buy them a gift because the bentley is is worth so much money i could just you know sell it and then i'd be fine um all right that, that got off track there uh fourth question Isolation and loneliness is something I deal with sometimes. Any suggestions? Wow. So first, I want to break down the difference between isolation and loneliness. Isolation is physical, meaning um, in in prison they would isolate a dangerous prisoner from the other prisoners. I know you're like, aren't all prisoners dangerous? No, no, no like the the ones who are really walling out a threat to themselves or a threat to someone else, they put them in isolation, right? So they are physically removing them from everyone else. Someone who lives in a cabin out in the woods is isolated. Um, so there, there's different ways that you, you know, it's like when you're a kid and your parents sent you to your room as punishment, that was a form of isolation. Go to your room, you cannot be with the rest of the family. You've been isolated, right? Um uh, and so that's isolation. Loneliness is a feeling. It's an emotion. It's a like a yearning of wanting to connect. Uh, I you know in an episode I did recently, I was reading from uh Matt uh, Matt Hags The Book of Comfort and what did he say? He said something about loneliness is not understanding who we are. He said, "Oh, he goes. The cure for loneliness is understanding who we are." I have to be honest. Um, he said, "He said the cure for loneliness isn't more people. The cure is understanding who we are." I want to, and I want to speak to that because. There are moments where I, you know, I travel a lot, and so I'm, I'm in some ways isolated from my family, from my friends, and then I get those pangs of loneliness. You know, I start to notice couples holding hands more, and and groups hanging out, and I'm like, oh, I kind of yearn for that connection. However, there are moments where, when I have a deeper understanding of who I am why I'm feeling the way I do, what's going on with me, then I start to feel connected to myself. I think when we feel the pangs of loneliness, we think that, okay, I need to connect with someone else, something external. But the truth is the, the first step at least has to be connecting with ourselves. Uh, understanding of what this emotion really is cuz sometimes my feeling of loneliness is i'm sleepy sometimes i'm tired i am um i'm dehydrated i ate too like it, it it can be these very tangible things um maybe the the pain of loneliness is um I'm, I'm moving too fast. I'm doing too many things at once. I've kind of spread myself thin and I need to slow down. Um, I've been on my feet too long. W- whatever it is I've been maybe I'm inside. maybe I've been inside too maybe I've been outside for too long. Um, you know so just understanding who we are in that it's not about understanding who we are in general. I want to backtrack there when I want to highlight this. It's about understanding who we are in that moment. It's all about the moment because who we are is, is a fluid concept as said by Will Smith in a movie Hitch. If you haven't seen it, it's funny. It's a great romantic comedy. Uh, it's one of my favorites. I've watched it a million times. Hitch with Will Smith and Um, I forget the the guy's name, uh, who his partner in crime is, and uh, the Latin... Oh, my goodness. Anyway, check the movie out. But understanding who we are in the moment, what is it that we really need or crave or value or are missing? You know, with addiction... Addiction usually has us thinking that uh, the, the the answer is outside of us. It's the food, the drugs, the sex, the the phone, the social media, the a person. It's it's outside of us, and um, and I think the same thing with loneliness. We think oh, I have to reach at the cost. I need a. Pr-. But history has shown us, uh, lived experiences have shown us that people can exist without human contact for a while, years, months. I mean, so they're they're clearly feeding themselves in some other way. They're clearly connecting to them. And they're people who have chosen to isolate themselves from the public, from people, right? And so they're feeding, they're connecting to their source, in another way. They're connecting to who they are. They have an understanding of what they need to really feel alive and present and grounded. So when you have those moments, when that that feeling of loneliness comes up for you, I would suggest you sit with it and, and ask yourself, what is it trying to tell you? Maybe that loneliness is uh, saying that you're, you're a bit off track. In the direction that you're going, you 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 you've been a bit performative lately, a little too people pleasing. You're not, you haven't you haven't been your authentic self. Or there's a part of yourself. Sometimes loneliness can be uh, not being able to express the all the parts of ourselves, right? Like you, you might um, be very creative at work. But then you're kind of like stoic and bossy at home, whatever that is. Um, but, but now because of your life, you're just stoic and bossy at work, at home, and everywhere. And you're just like yearning to connect with your, that part of yourself that is creative. And so that loneliness can be um, a, the, what part of you are you not allowing to express itself or doesn't have the room to express itself that, you, that you're just like, but it, it could, it could flourish, right? Um, so I hope that answers the question. And then last one, uh, what other uh, uh, cognitive behavioral techniques do you suggest for a person to use when feeling anxiety rise during a conversation, conversational encounter? Oh, this is a great question. Because we've all been in these conversations, especially around the holidays, but uh, at work and in, in personal lives where it feels, and you feel uncomfortable. You can feel your anxiety rise. You're starting to, you're starting to twitch, fidget. Your breath is a bit shallow. Your, um, your focus it, uh, narrows, right? Um, you, you feel some tension in the shoulders. You're not, you're not comfortable. You're kind of in this fight, flight, freeze type of mode. And so there's a couple things that I do. One is, because right, there's a number of reasons why I could be feeling anxious during a conversation. One is if, I, if I'm feeling attacked, right, then I'll just say, hey, I feel attacked right now. And nine times out of 10 when I say that, the person backtracks and they go, wait, wait, that was not my intention. Now, if this is someone who has an agenda, They'll just keep coming, right? They're just like, I don't care. I'm gonna, and then you know that that's the situation. You just need to get out of because this person is not even trying to hear you, honor you, listen to you, right? You just, you just gotta bounce. Um, So the second thing, uh, reason why I might feel anxious in a conversation is because I'm thinking about what I'm gonna say next. I'm not even listening. Uh, Like they're talking and I'm like. Oh, I want to say this. Are they going to give me space to say this thing? And when I feel that, I just, I have to tell myself to let it go. To let it go. I just go, you know what, Leo? Let that thought go and, and really focus on their eye color. That's what really helps me to be present in a conversation is to focus on their eye color because anxiety is me focusing on my body and my internal experience. But if I can... Zoom out a little bit and take the moment to focus on their eye color. Are their pupils dilated? Are their eyes blue, green, hazel, yellow? I know some people have yellow eyes. Do they have two colored eyes? Focus on their eye color. And that allows you to feel very present, right? Now, if I do that and I'm still feeling anxious for a little bit, it could be they've been talking forever. They're just rambling, right? In that situation, I say to them, hey, I have two minutes left of focus in this conversation, and then I'm i am I'm, I'm done. You have, you have two minutes left to say whatever you got to say, and then I'm done. And I know it sounds very confrontational and abrupt, but every time that I've said it, people go, oh, 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 all right, my bad. I, or they say, "Hey, I appreciate you letting me know," because talkers know that they talk. You're not the first person to notice that this person rambles on for hours, right? Talk like seventy percent of people are talkers. Thirty percent of us are listeners and questioners, right? Uh, according to David Brooks in his in his new book, uh, "How to," I think it's "How to Speak to People" or something like that. So when someone is just jabbering on for everybody's going and they're going, here's the thing. I don't mind that you're talking for an hour straight, right? What I do mind is that you went from, you talked for an hour straight, but you covered like 12 different topics. And at no point did you, did you check in to get my feedback to see what I thought about it or how I'm feeling or, or to, to, to ask any question, nothing, nothing. You just went from sports to weather, to your sciatica, to your mom uh, having diabetes, to, you know, your crypto, to, uh, you know, just going down at uh, what you ate for breakfast, you know, how bad you slept, like, you just went through this list. <laughs> and at no point did you, I, I was like, do I even need to be here for this conversation? Like that's the part that—that's <laughs> the part that's awful, right? So just know that um, if you feel anxious during the conversation, it could be any of those things. It could be some other things that I haven't even mentioned, but just right off the top of my head, that's what comes to mind, right? I'm gonna wrap it up there because I don't want to ramble on and on and on. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. If you found some value in any of these questions that I answered please share it with one other person and let them know which question it was or, or what thing that it brought up for you because when we share, it gives us a chance to connect. And when we connect, we can build a community. We have a community that we feel seen, heard, understood. Thank you for joining me today on another episode of Before You Kill Yourself. I hope you have a story-worthy week. I hope you accomplished something ridiculous today. I hope that you find some magical moment, and uh, until the next time we tune in, remember this podcast is not a substitute for you calling the 988 or any of the 800 numbers listed in all of the show notes, you can chat, talk, text, you can go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly, let's get to tomorrow together.